Welcome to another two episodes in the series, Do You Really Want to Know? Mental Health Conversations. My name is Alison Salisbury. I was the carer for my son who lost his life to mental illness. Today I'm speaking with Annette Baker. Annette Baker is a community advocate, spokesperson and fundraiser for issues around mental health and suicide. In 2011, Annette's 15-year-old daughter Mary took her own life after a three-year battle with an eating disorder. It was then Annette and her family vowed to fight to remove the stigma and silence associated with suicide and raise funds and awareness in the Albury-Wodonga region and beyond. In 2012, the Border Mail newspaper wrote a story about Annette's family and invited them to front a local campaign ending the suicide silence. The story, It's Time to Talk, won a Walkley Award for Journalism. Annette is on the Task Force Committee for Australians for Mental Health. Annette is also the founder and instrumental organiser for the annual Winter Solstice event held in Albury, Wodonga on June 21st every year. The solstice started in 2013 and this year held its first online event that currently has had over 30,000 views. I'm very pleased today that we're talking with Annette Baker. Annette, thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed. I'm not sure how to start. Would you feel comfortable just maybe starting by telling me about your family and your life when your children were growing up? Uh, yeah, thanks, Alison. Um, uh, yeah, I, I probably would have considered, you know, when I look back now, that um, our family and um, life with our family growing up was pretty normal, <laughs> you know, um, in fact, very normal. Um, yes, we, you know, we live out of town a little bit. Um, weekends were spent lighting fires, uh, playing with kids, played with neighbours. Um, they didn't do too much. Um, they didn't do too much of the uh, sleepover sort of thing. They were pretty content around here. Probably the worst thing I did as a mother was let them watch um, The Simpsons. I was told quite often that I shouldn't have done that. So, oh. <laughs> my, yeah, my second son, Henry, said, Mum, it doesn't matter if, I, if we don't get what's happening this year. When I watch a repeat in two years' time, I'll get it. So <laughs> I didn't realise <laughs> I didn't realise that I was being irresponsible as a mother. Mm. Yeah, during... Um, during, you know, for, for 10 years of, um, you know, the time that kids were growing up, Stuart um, became a counsellor. We were, um, along with Helen, our videographer here, we were uh, protesters, um, you know. Okay, um, what were you protesting against? We were protesting about having a national highway running through our city. Yeah. 
and um sure at Aubrey Wodonga aren't you in Aubrey Wodonga yes yeah. so we didn't win that protest um nice. but our kids were often part of it as in you know carrying banners through yeah. our main street um yeah mm. doing you know lots of lots of things like that um yeah so we were we're very very big water family we love our river which is close by yeah jack played soccer henry played soccer henry wasn't our really sporty sporty person but um he'd give things a go mary liked and wanted to do everything um and what she did she she liked to achieve in um so yeah, she so, was a, a cross country runner. She was a water polo player. She was a horsewoman, and yeah. So, so um, Stuart and I played water polo with them with the family as well. So I, I would consider that pretty normal. <laughs> yeah. So Mary was your is your youngest child. Yes. And and can you tell us about Mary's? personality what was she like you obviously she was very active and you know outdoor type of girl yeah um as um as a baby she was um quite determined from a very young age um uh, we i would take the three kids to the swimming pool all the time you know she would well after she once she could walk she would you know walk ahead of us take her clothes off and dive into the pool and she couldn't swim so, oh my so our, our time at the swimming pool was very stressful for me <laughs> yeah because if she went missing for you know for a minute or two she could have been at the bottom of the pool she once she dived in she would just roll around and she didn't she had no fear um and that was quite scary but that was the same with a lot of the the areas of her life um you know with horse riding uh she would gallop that horse and i would be literally shitting myself you know and <laughs> her horse her horse instructor would tell me i needed to go shopping <laughs> <laughs> and leave them alone but um as as a um you know the age that mary was i had to be there as as a um what is it you know as a guardian i suppose um because i'd not signed her instructor over <laughs> to to mary and if anything happened and quite often you know she did have falls and um and different things and every fall she had was when I wasn't there <laughs> so oh yeah so mother isn't it yeah yeah so um so she was determined and you know I think she you know growing up with two older brothers she was actually you know five steps ahead of the the two of them so yeah mm -hmm. so I suppose what what was it? you talk to us about the lead up to with Mary and her ill health? What was how did that progress for? Well, Mary was in her last years, uh, last year of primary school, and um, 
there was a lot of stuff going on with girls, you know, uh, that she was not coping with. Yes. And we, you know, she became, she was in, um, she was in an ac academic class and she became very tight, you know, very good friends with one particular girl and they teamed up and they would do a lot of schoolwork um, during lunch hours and um, recess time and because there was a lot of work given to them. Um, so that whole social thing with her, her with peers sort of, you know, died a little bit. Um, and there, yeah, there was, um, <clears throat> yeah, that, that nasty girl sort of thing going on yeah. in lots of groups. And so uh, Mary and Andrea uh, moved away from that and spent time on their own. So they ended up in year seven um, at a very big secondary uh, public school and the same thing, they they were spending a lot of time on their own um, and not, you know, not um, mixing with um, mm. other groups. Then one day Mary and Henry walked to to the to somewhere where I was um, home from school and Mary complained about a tooth uh, uh, about a sore uh, yeah uh, mouth. The following day um, she saw a dentist in Aubrey and uh, it was discovered that she had a very bad tooth abscess which he drained um, the following day he didn't prescribe antibiotics the following day I phoned him and asked if we could have some mm -hmm. and we knew the dentist he brought a script out here to our place and um, after and he recommended that she have a root canal filling done in Melbourne it was actually um, it was actually getting close to Easter, Easter I think, or no, it was around St Patrick's Day, and we went to Melbourne, and she had the root canal filling done. The <clears throat> the um, person, the man, said to us that he would do it in. Uh, one stage only because she was so compliant and um, there was no need to have two visits uh, because we were travelling. We went after that appointment and had something to eat and it was like something, it was like the switch had gone from there to there and food, it, she was looking at food as if it was a foreign material. Um, that that was that part of it. We ended up having the tooth removed, and she started to make very, very, very slow progress. But I think she had been so so sick, and um, it it was 
um, it, it was very slow and we, we actually didn't really know what, what was going on. So the original dentist, um, uh, his wife phoned me to ask how she was and I said she's not great and he sent a paediatrician to come and visit her. The paediatrician grabbed her on the cheeks and because at this stage a rash uh, had appeared all over her body and, um, and he said, um, told me immediately that she had parvo virus okay and and so that was that um he made a a few more visits here and after a while I suggested that we go to the surgeries that it was just not um it, it was not really working he would say that he was coming one day and three days later he would appear and it was pretty awful at one point when I talked to him on the phone, he said to me, do you think that this is all in her head? And I wow. said to him, what do you mean by that, Mark? I said, you're the doctor. I said, do you mean that she's making it up or do you mean that it is a mental um, thing? And, yes, yeah, so, <clears throat> and I... I don't know what he said to that, but I do, I, I will never forget him saying, do you think it's all in her head? So a few weeks later, she became, she came into our room at night time and said she felt really sick. And I talked to Mark, the paediatrician, the following day, and they suggested she, we admit her to hospital. She had um, oh, actually, but yeah, a few days prior to that, um, Mark had suggested that, uh, and this was when she was at her absolute worst. He suggested she she get over her virus and go back to school. So I did find some clothes. <laughs> um, by that time, she had lost a. a an enormous amount of weight. I found some clothes for her. Took her to school, <laughs> and oh. yeah. yeah. So basically, and it, it sounds like they were treating a physical illness. Yeah. Or placing some sort of stigma on. Is it all in her head? Well, uh, I would say some sort of ignorance. <laughs> to be honest. Sorry, yeah, yeah. ignorance. And so they weren't really drilling down to see the mental health impact yeah. Yeah. by the sound of it. Yeah, I don't think they really had a clue. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I, that was pretty much our experience, I have to say. Yeah, people just, um, yeah, doctors just don't really ask the right questions, mm. have assessment tools. But yeah. Really get a some sort mm -hmm. of handle of a diagnosis. Yeah. So the yeah. Oh, sorry. The, what happened from there, Annie? Uh, she went to Aubrey Base <laughs> for a week. Okay. And to okay with talking Aubrey about Aubrey and to Melbourne for eight weeks. Yeah. Where I stayed in Melbourne. 
and Stuart and Henry came down for a Saturday night. Yeah. And so she was in an eating disorder unit and that was pretty awful. And um, they refeed them. Yes. Uh, the first day that she had had her seven meals, she was screaming. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we just had no idea. It's incredibly disempowering. Oh. Uh, yeah. And um, you feel so helpless because. You know your child needs help, but you, you they are resisting because they're traumatised. Yes, yeah. Well, they're not treated. No, they're, they're treated not. like criminals, actually. I think that that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. They, yes, yeah. I understand. Being in an inpatient setting yes. environment for unwell. Yeah. Unwell anyone, but particularly unwell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so she, um, you know, her brother who was living in Canberra at uni, we got him to come and spend a weekend with her when I, while I came home to spend a weekend with Henry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so we just sort of did whatever we could. Yes. Um, then uh, we, she, a beautiful uh, English doctor came in one Sunday morning when we were all there and he said, Mary, I think you need to go home. Oh. <laughs> and we, yeah. Oh. I thought, <laughs> that's the best thing I've heard. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know about you. I felt damned if I did and damned if I didn't. Yes, yeah. yeah. You know that this is not helping but. If I remove my child yeah. against what's, what is my best judgment, am I going yeah. to be worse? Yeah. Yes. So, so we brought her home and then we monitored every single meal of hers, um, breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, dinner and a snack at night time for three years. And... <laughs> Yeah, so we actually thought that that was normal. <laughs> um, interesting you say that. Not my son was so withdrawn. Yeah, been out of the house was a massive challenge in itself. My mind eventually, I knew it wasn't normal, but yeah. it became the new normal. Yeah. Well, ours was, we would do, you know, Mary said, I, I just want to get back to normal and we said we'll do everything we can to help with that. And we, uh, she started riding again. She started diving. She had a girl say, do you think your mum would let you do diving, you know, because it wasn't too much energy. She came to water polo. Uh, um, after, you know, at that first season and she played a little bit in an under-14 team and then, you know, they, all of the girls 
talked her into playing a second game in an under-16 team and, you know, I sort of threw my hands in the air and I said, why not? Like, you know, why not? Because, you know, sure, she's using energy, but, you know, she's happier doing it. So I used to go back when she was in hospital at in Melbourne and I used to go back to my... Um, the place I was staying every night and read about eating disorders. I read book after book after book and one parent said that she allowed her child to do exercise because otherwise, um, you know, once again they are, you know, they're, they're being treated um, for their illness and, um they're they're being not yeah they're they're being treated like a criminal <laughs> you know I can't do you can't do that because you are yeah so uh, yeah. so we did allow sport um, yeah so we we monitored her sport she would have done sport forever <laughs> you know every single minute of the day but she was yeah. only allowed to do what we said. The impact on both you and Stuart and your children, beside Mary, must yeah. have been huge. Well, we, I think because it was a gradual thing, it, it just became the norm for us. We yeah. didn't really, you know, like if, if we were, after a while, if we were invited to go somewhere, we would Mary would have her meal here, yeah. and because and and we would just do whatever we could that you know that I suppose uh, created a normality rather than yeah it was hard work it was bloody hard work yeah so during this time was there any sort of Apart from informal supports like friends, did you have any real support? No, no, not really. I, I know went. you didn't see yourself as a carer, but was there any opportunity to share with 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 other parents or? No, no, because it was too busy. Like yeah. I, I, you know, it was suggested that I go to a support group. Yeah. And I said, well, I don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to do breakfast. I've got to do, you know, yeah. morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea for the first six months. And, you know, yeah. Stuart and I would share that. When Jack was yeah. home, he would often do it. And, yeah, so I started trying to swim as, you know, um, which is what I do for myself and, so as soon as I dropped them to school, I would go and have a swim. I would have morning tea in a an ice box at uh, in the car and go straight to morning tea after my swim. You know, then I'd come home and make lunch. <laughs> and it was just, you know, this. You know, in fact, now I feel quite. I uh, you know I get quite anxious about meal times. You know, like, oh, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not 
you know, ready for, you know, a reasonable, you know, dinner time or, yeah, yeah. I'm quite, yeah, which I think is a leftover from three years of, yeah. So in, during this time, was Mary going to school or doing normal things teenagers were doing or was she, there was also no time outside of her sporting things. There wasn't a lot of time. There'd be an odd birthday party or something, but, you know, it was hard for her. Yeah, it's not as though she's going to the lollies. And, you know, um, she played, you know, she played hockey in wintertime. Yeah, and they would go, you know, they're final thing would be going to McDonald's and she didn't want to do that and neither did I. I hate McDonald's. So, you know, Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so I was always happy not to. But, um, yeah, yeah. So she, yeah, she, there wasn't a lot of time for extra sort of stuff and she was always, you know, she was busy with her schoolwork as well. So was she doing that from home or was she attending? No, she was at school because we I went to school to give yeah. her her food. Yeah. Um so can you share what sort of happened in the in the final months of Mary's life? Yeah, she she I don't know what was any different really to what we've been talking about. Yeah, I don't don't know whether there was, you know, a trigger or or the the strange thing that I discovered after Mary took her life was that her her first appointment the day that she was she got sick with her tooth was on the 14th of March and she died on the 15th of March, three years later. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, you know, um, I there was no note, there was nothing but, um, you know, we found, um, we found her writing, which was very dark, um, and she, yeah, she had done a an assignment with with poetry and analysing poet uh, uh, a couple of um, poems by people that um, had depression, and she spent a lot of time on that, and um, and there were a lot of messages in it. Yes. So Mary took her life when she was 15, you said? Yes, yeah. So I know the whole, the whole thing changes there. It's not just, it's hard to compare griefs, but losing a child to suicide is a totally different grief. It is. <laughs> You're right there, Alison. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, I've got a good friend who lost her daughter to cancer at the same age, um, and that was yeah. years ago. And we don't 
sit around and compare growth. Yeah. But I think the layers of suicide are a lot yeah. complex. It is very complicated. And we, we've had, um, before Mary died, we've had Stuart's parents who died in a plane accident. And my dad had died after, um, you know, eight years with Alzheimer's. And I worked out pretty quickly that um, this was a different death. <laughs> it's, it, yeah. it, you know, in the eyes of most people, it's not the right way to die. It's not, it's not, yeah, it's not okay. I really look forward to your feedback. What would you like to see covered in future episodes of Do You Really Want to Know? Mental Health Conversations? If you would like to share your story, please email your ideas to Do You Really Want to Know podcast at gmail.com, all lowercase. I look forward to hearing your responses. And again, if this episode has raised any concerns for you, please contact Lifeline 131114, Kids Helpline 1800 55 1800, Beyond Blue 1300 224636, or Sane Australia. One eight hundred one eight seven two.